Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome. We have Max Mupese here with us today. My name is Holden Stefanroy, and this is Bridge the Gap, the show where we like to go through the lives of interesting people such as yourself and learn about you and try and extract some knowledge nuggets along the way. And in this case, I'm particularly fascinated by you because in a lot of senses, we talk to artists. We don't often get to talk to a lot of people who do the other side of the coin that are involved in the more business-oriented things. This guy just wrote a book. I actually know about him because he brought Locksmith to Montreal, which was kind of huge. Like I was like, say a word. That's not like a little thing to actually pull off. So it was like really cool to like get somebody like you who actually knows, again, the other side of the, the music coin into this situation. But with that, I was hoping you could let us know just to start it off, because in a lot of ways, this is really about your life and who you are. If you could let us know where you were born and like where your life kind of starts. <clears throat> All right, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Max Mupese, out of Montreal, Canada. I was born uh, specifically on Walkley Street. So anybody who knows NDG knows uh, that side of uh, Walkley. Now, I would say I was just a simple guy that I liked to, to hang out with my crew, hang out with people who had the same interests as me at a young age, knowing that we had certain ambitions so there was I'm gonna, a, we'll get into that but i want to start it off a little different right because you're still connected to the music world so my my my, my main opening question is going to apply to you as well so it's right. a bit of a story and it matters where you start <clears throat> and by the way i'm like three blocks away from Rockley, so that's fresh so like uh so. um but with that like it's a bit of a story this question and when it lands you can kind of go with it and i'm sure it's going to lead into where you were going anyway so with that yeah. it's uh it starts with my girlfriend and she's washing the dishes one time and she's playing that black eyed peas song that i got a feeling Ooh. she's vibing she's dancing she's doing her thing and i look at her and i go yo when the fuck did this song become chores music right like when did it become the kind of song that you put on when you're exercising or you're doing some productive things, you're doing something a little bit boring and now you're trying to go to a bit of a funner place in your mind. And I say that because I can remember like 10 years ago, this was it, man. This was the middle of the night, everybody drunk, dancing around in circles kind of song, everybody having a good time. The song doesn't change at all because it's a song, but 10 years goes by and the context that surrounds it changes so much when a situation where the song has now evolved into something for us that's more akin to like exercise music and chores music and all that which i thought was a wild thing like you got to think about all these little 20 year olds that are bumping around right now and i have no idea that they're going to be washing dishes to cardi b one day the way that we're washing dishes to cardi b right now and it's wild how music just kind of works like that and they say that because like it means that everything's kind of like a little bit on a journey right so with the music thing you know, like we think about the journeys of the musicians and I'm sure you watch interviews, you see all these different things. Everybody kind of starts the story at the same place. When they get into hip hop, when they decide they're going to be a rapper, they might be 12 years old, when they find their first favorite person. But if you think about music, it, it, it's not just hip hop. Just, it's a big thing. It's everything in life, right? And if you really yeah. think about your exposure to music, there's a good chance that whatever hospital you was born at, there was something playing in the room when you popped out right like it's you are already kind of absorbing music since time so it made me realize that like yo the whole story really matters like i can't remember being like four or five years old in Cote saint luc my dad's got the gray boxes the the amp the, the tape deck the radio the wires kind of connected together pushing out to all these speakers all over the room and it would be like 
Led Zeppelin tapes and that kind of stuff at one part of the day. At night, though, MC Mario Club Mix and all that kind of stuff will be playing through. My mom's is more into, like, discos, more into musicals and just different things like that. But all I have to say, I had no control over what the fuck I listened to when I was a little one. So I was hoping yeah. you could run us back to being a little one on Walkley and tell us a little bit about what it sounded like to be you you know, before you had any control and just describe a little bit of like the environment, the sounds, the ambiance of growing up that kind of started that journey a bit more. Yeah, I like that question. That's a great question. I would Thank say you. to sum up everything, it goes back to even before hip hop, because I used to love Michael Jackson. I was deeply involved with Michael Jackson. And I, it made me think of when just asking that question it made me think of the time my family went to Washington, D.C. We met an, one of my uncles who was a DJ at the time, and he kept playing Michael Jackson for some reason. And I, I think that's where my first love of music started, really began. Or even at the same time I was listening to Michael Jackson, I used to like Backstreet Boys and, you know, a few of the NSYNC members. And, man, I was a big Britney, Spe big Britney Spears fan. It's funny to say that. Nah, she's now, wonderful. Really Her music is incredible. We just got to make it clear exactly seriously so like all of these tastes of music came together at the same time knowing that i was embracing music for just for what for any reason just the idea of making it feel like i have a vibe out of what i'm listening to knowing that at that age i wasn't necessarily paying we weren't paying attention to the lyrics of course but that same vibe that would connect me with one of my best friends at the time who was uh argentinian and I had another friend who was from like it was just a mixture of culture and and uh, the vibrations that were just powerful. And when you were young, were you like interested in like making music, or was it more like you were a fan of it when you? That's an that's an interesting one because at that time I was not even thinking about making music, but I always liked to see superstars glow or even get out of their comfort zone or become for like from a under, for instance, like an underdog becoming the rising star. So that's what, that's what always kept me going and kept me uh, listening to music. After that type, at that, at that time, I realized that, you know, some of my peers were starting to make music and they were into making music. Now I, be, I became more of an observer knowing that I could participate as well. Hold up, you're, when, so you're, but just to like add some context, because the people might not know that around this time is like one of the inception points of English hip hop in Montreal is coming from right around that area. Yeah. And so you're basically growing up around all of these dudes coming into it and like doing their exactly. thing. That's wild. And I, I don't know how old you are relative to them. Are you younger than these guys? Is you like just kind of like involved with it? Like, yeah, I'm. I'm actually under thirty. Yeah, ninety two. So you were like a little little one when guys like Preacher dropping like their fucking albums and shit. There you go. Say a word. That's wild. But yeah, you know what's crazy is that they started out with Michael Jackson, Britney Spears, Insane, uh, of course, uh, Backstreet Boys, and then one of my uncles who moved in with us. I was still under eight or nine years old i would say i was probably around like six or five that's when he he had his turntables in his room he was more of a dj a hip-hop dj and he introduced us to all of those old school hip-hop artists rock him naughty by nature 
KRS One. He had an agenda filled with all of their pictures, and that's when I was like, okay, that's a little bit different than what I used to listen to. <laughs> I emphasize on the little bit. That's amazing. Um, and uh, at what point, like, I guess, does it evolve from that to like you become more of a fan of hip hop? You become more of a fan of music focusing on the lyrics. Is, is that like like a pivot, like an evolution point for you? Exactly. Especially when I first heard uh, Jay-Z's 1998 Hard Knock Life album, Volume 2. That's when I was like, okay, this is completely different. The beat, the melodies, the sounds. And it felt it felt like a new world to me, really. And like, yeah. how are you finding new music outside of your uncle then? Was it like you guys had access to the net, you was running it like that? Or was it like people in the streets had it? What's interesting is that at that time, the internet was not even really a big thing. We're 1990, I would say 97, 98. And most importantly, what we did was we'd simply look at their pictures and remember their names. Like, okay, who was that individual? Who? And some of our peers were already knowing, well, not necessarily our peers, but people, our neighbors rather. Some of our neighbors were already in tune of hip hop. They knew who were the big guys, who were the ones that were making a lot of noise. That's when we uh, took a lot of these information, took a lot of their information in consideration. Like, okay, that's what's that's what his name is. That's whose name his name is. I had a few cousins too who were into hip hop for a long time. Now, it, it all blended at the same time, and that's when like the music videos were were a lot more. Uh, prevalent and people were talking a lot more about oh you saw his new music video you saw what he did in that video Buster Rhymes whatnot so like it, it all came down at the same time it all came out at the same time where I was able to have access to m more music videos that I that I was at the time and um yeah just the, the information of what certain artists were about and who they're who were they about and like did that get you to want to start creating your own music or was it more like you were still like a fan of it and like as the high school years kick in and whatnot at the time i was still a fan of it it wasn't until elementary that i realized okay i would like to rap i would like to know how how to form a system bar or even how to create a certain flow where people could remember me for being a certain creator and how do you get into that like were you like working with other people or was it kind of like more of a quiet thing you're doing it just kind of watching and trying it out i was more into like watching some of my peers doing it because i had a friend you probably know him by the name of takens yes, we yeah we went to elementary and high school together and yeah i remember one thing that really struck with me is that i had the ludicrous album and then I was listening to it for a whole week or probably more than a week. I went to school, I sent it, I, I gave him, I just borrowed him the copy. He's like, okay, I'm gonna give it back to you tomorrow. He came back the next day, he knew the whole album by heart. I was like, this is no, this, there's no way I could compete with what he's doing. <laughs> so I was able to, <laughs> you know, I was just able to watch him from close and know that, okay, what he's doing is going somewhere if he keeps that consistency. Once, uh, once I saw that he was taking it a lot more serious, then I would say I, I started not necessarily following his path, but supporting him in a way where, okay, if he has a group, an idea of anything that happens with 
uh, individuals who are working in the industry, I would be down with it. And that's when I, I, I took part in um, one of his, his first group. Well, the first group we created was Black Gloves, and I was one of the members. That's dope. What's it like making music back then? How are y'all finding beats? Like, what's that process like? Because it's nothing like that today. Today, it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. It was completely different, to be honest. I was not necessarily aware of who was uh, making those plays, but I knew that our producer, which was Ski, uh, DG Ski, shout out to Ski. He's been doing music for a while. And what he used to do was he pretty much modeled every single every single known producer in the states in a way where he could apply what they had going on but in a different level more of a local level once he got the, the to the gyms pretty much the idea of how things were to be done in, in order to produce a song or whatnot that's when it's like okay he gave us a few a few gems here and there like hey i think this is the best way to write a 16 this is the best way to write a hook and we just learned from him. And the crazy thing is that he was the youngest in the group. I think he was still like 12 or 11. And we were like 14, 13. It's still wild so, that like when you think about it, right? That you're so young in a rap group trying to pop off some stuff like that, right? Like just think about it in the context of how many people start at like 24. You know what I mean? Like you know, some people have been putting in work is all I'm trying to say there. Yeah, absolutely, man. So did y'all end up like releasing music at that point or was it more just like, or did you perform? Like how far did you guys push that? Yes, we actually did release a lot of music. Uh, one of our first songs was Still NDG on Still DRE beat. And I had, yeah, I had a verse on it. Tegan's had a verse on it. Ski had a verse on it. And TJ Heights, the Tyree, shout out to him. He had a verse on it too. Once we got that out of the window, a lot of people started to hear about her name because we used to call ourselves Black Gloves. And what what inspired that thought was simply the, the day we we were all in the studio, we were all at Ski's house and we had Black Gloves. People were like, oh, shoot. Well, not people, actually. The people in the room in the, in the house were like, oh, you guys are all wearing Black Gloves. That's interesting. And it was around the wintertime. And I think Tagans came up with the name or even Ski, one or the other. And we just went, we ran with it. And so after that like phase of being with Black Gloves, right? So you guys run that for a while. And then what kind of happens after that? What's like the next evolution for you? Now, once once we formed once we formed Black Gloves, uh, we had to we were four out now, Tagans, myself, TJ. Yeah, we were four at the beginning. That's when we uh, had a few other members who would join. And at that time, I moved out of NDG. That's when we still had that connection going on, but I realized I wasn't necessarily gonna take the music thing serious. I saw it more as, as a phase. And one thing, one day actually that blew my mind, I realized, okay, you know what? I should be more than a rapper is obviously when I used to take a hundred takes for a verse. <laughs> another another day too was when I when I saw that Ski and I had a, a song together and it was my song. I sent him the song. I sent him the record via Facebook, if I'm not mistaken, or MSN. It was MSN at that time. He sent me that verse back in less than two hours and he out me on that song. That's when I was like, 
you know what, man? I've always known I've always known something about me. I like to cheer for the underdog. I like to see whether that person is doing some sort of, like you could say better, but in a way where like they're they're shining in their own way. But that makes you realize like shoot, I like what I like what this person is doing. That's when I took the back seat and officially made it made it clear in my mind that okay, you know what? Any artist or any creative I can encounter, I would like to invest in their art. I would like to invest in their project and whatnot. Yeah, a city definitely benefits from people like you. <laughs> Appreciate it, man. <laughs> um, it's crazy. I mean, I've heard a couple of interesting things you've done over the last decade that I didn't even know about until other people talked about you. So I was, I was like fascinated. Like, okay, you did a cipher at one point, and I was like, say a word. I'm like, because I basically had started my own version of what you were doing on Twitch. Like, right, I, I had no idea you had done it, and then I think Serenity was on. And she used to participate in it and she was like breaking down your whole concept and shit i'm like say a fucking word this dude's like on it on it that's like fucking wild so it's like i know you got some like crazy shit in your journey that like you've done like you've done like things i don't think people are aware of like this kind of whole side of life the event coordination this the building up an ecosystem behind other people so like when i say like the, we benefit from people like you it's a real thing man i appreciate it for real um but with that like so you start deciding to go down that path of life i guess what you're still a teenager you're a little bit older exactly so like how how do you what do you do when you're like 16 17 and you're like i want to be a manager how do you like run that running around doing reckless things you know sometimes the hood influence could carry us could make us do all kinds of crazy decisions right and that period of time, obviously teenage years, we're still trying to discover ourselves, trying to recreate ourselves, if, we, if I could say. And that time I was more focused on basketball, you know, doing all kinds of sports, basketball, uh, learning a little bit more about the music business as I'm watching shows, listening to interviews, paying attention to certain details of, okay, which artists got signed with uh, which company, who are the people involved and whatnot. Once that was, once that uh, became a reality in my life, I realized, okay, you know what? I gotta figure out a way to be in the in the right environment, in the environment of people who are thinking like me. But it took me a, a few years, I would say, a few more years to realize, okay, you know what? Maybe basketball is not what I want to do. Here's what I think that's better for me in the long run knowing that I was around the wrong crowd, you know, doing all kinds of things. Then once I passed that phase of just playing basketball for at least four to seven years, I realized that I got to put myself uh, in, a, in an environment where people were really thinking about making bigger moves than I was doing at the time. Mm, that's a big thing. You want to elaborate on what you mean by that? Yeah. So what helped me, honestly, to, to think a lot more business was when I joined a multi-level marketing company. That's, so I had to, <laughs> that's an amazing segue. <laughs> yeah. But prior to that, like I used to always, I used to always like to create things, always like to put things in certain places. You know, at the time, probably people would say I was a lot more of an instigator for the wrong reasons, but then I turned out to be the person that would like to 
put people in the right place, put give people the right opportunities, right? And one thing I used to do at high, in high school was back when we used to have, when we has when we used to have basketball practices, we'd go to Provigo and just t- just get a bunch of chocolates and then go to school, sell them at a certain price. And I had a, a few other people who were following me, knowing that they wanted to create the same opportunity. They wanted to sell the same items I had, well, the same products I had to sell, which were chocolate. And I was like, okay, I'm able to make certain people think like me in a way where it's inspiring and motivating. You that chocolates in high school? Yeah, I did, man. <laughs> so I always knew that that entrepreneurial spirit was, uh, was within me once once i gave that once i once i moved on to that next when i once i moved on to that next phase which was thinking a lot more business after after i started playing basketball that's where i was thinking of okay you know i got to put myself in an environment where people are thinking a lot more bigger than me that's when i connected with a few individuals who are into multi-level marketing and i did a few years in that in that domain in that space so were you good at it? Like I tried to do the Cutco, okay? I tried to fucking do that one and I was trash because it's hard as fuck to at all have any level of success in any multi-level marketing. Like it basically means you have to know how to people person and you need a network. You, it's not even just that. I was like, I didn't know people. How the fuck mm-hmm. do you sell shit when you don't know anybody? <laughs> Bro, but I, best weed yeah, scissors go- I ever had. But I'm like, that was not my shit. How did you survive that? Man, I gave it I gave it my all for real. I noticed that one thing about me is that anytime I get involved in a project or and I commit to something, I always give my 120%. Every job I had, whether I I left at a certain point where they fired me or anything happened, I always made sure I was giving my blood, sweat, and tears. Now with multi-level marketing what caught me what really made me think i could do this is when i saw uh, the person who present who presented the idea of five links to us and i was like okay shoot all right he he seems like he's doing it the way he he carries himself his confidence and i saw myself through him and i was like okay you know what if this guy could do it i've never met this individual i know i'm capable of reaching out to people i know i'm capable of bringing people together then I'm gonna shoot my shot. I used to go to a bunch of met, de- bunch of different metro stations, subway stations in Montreal, and just pitch to people. Whether they knew me or not, I would sometimes we'd go with my with my father at that time because my father wanted to join. He wanted to see the opportunity, and I would just see a bunch of people on the train and talk to them. Hey, my name is Max. I would like to uh, talk to you about something that's very interest that might that's something that might interest you. And I saw that they had their phone in their hand. So I just pitched with the fact that technology was the next big thing and they had to keep up with the time. So a lot of times there were people looking at me like if I was crazy, this 17, 18 year old kid just talking to random strangers, but I had to get it done. That's wild. I mean, I've heard of people flipping mixtapes, heard of people flipping other things. Uh, But damn, man, that's like the exact same grind but like hella different like that's cutthroat shit stills because yo those numbers and those margins like you gotta like 
be very effective to actually make money in that world. Um, For real. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like, you have to have sales skills like a motherfucker. <clears throat> um, so how long did you run that for? I could see how that would get you ambitious. Plus, you're getting uh, comfortable with people. Like, just that yeah. anything, anywhere, go pitch whatever people. There you go. I would say around, uh, yeah, I lasted probably a year and a half, yeah. Until until uh, some of the members of our team decided to split ways. They're like, okay, you know what? Uh, they're not. They realized, they, they actually exposed us to the truth midway through our success. Like, we're actually getting to a level of success. I, 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 got, I gathered a team. I made sure I had three to four people on my squad uh, starting started thinking about creating a team for my team like you know you had to have you had to recruit two people and two people had to recruit two people so I was already thinking about recruiting two people for the three people I had on my team and that's when uh, everything started to change especially when you realize success could happen at the time uh, not necessarily well success could happen at any moment right but especially you got to be prepared for the quote unquote success time success moments what really made me think of oh shoot i gotta be prepared for what's up for whatsoever is when those leaders we had on my team decided to completely change uh change lanes switch lanes and tell us okay you know what guys we need to sit down with you and think about what what's your next plan because we're leaving we're cashing out and they broke us down what what their real numbers were how they weren't necessarily making real money and i was like okay wow that was a reality call like no matter what happens it's like you know the army the army notion or the army the theory is like whatever soldier goes down you just got to figure out a way to keep going and that's what i learned from that experience i was like okay yeah you say words still <clears throat> like you got too good with the mlm and then they had to break down what an mlm really is and you're like oh say word that must have been heavy yeah man it was it was definitely a, a shocking moment i was like wow had to max out my credit card went all the way to florida by myself figure out ways to do it but yeah it it was a great experience it definitely was yeah, I would say anybody that has some 5 a.m. morning club in the future definitely benefited from that level of skill set experiences. <laughs> That's, um, but with that, like, so what comes after the MLM experience? Right after the MLM experience, that's when I was like, okay, you know what? I got to get into college, think a lot more business. Uh, I was still on that hustler spirit. I started selling books. I started selling, you know, t-shirts clothes uh, i was thinking about all kinds of creative ways to sell things selling selling phones uh, i was just on my selling selling uh, phase selling anything i could touch really that was legal and you know of course you gotta sometimes dibble and dabble learn about what, what was happening in the streets in, in a way where you could incorporate it in a, in a more corporate world so i figured out a way to do both and it helped me as much it helped me like it did not help me at one point so, <laughs> <laughs> so with throughout those experiences i was able to make a lot more contacts and get in touch with people who have a lot more experience with a lot more experience than me when it comes to business 
And till this day, I still get in touch. I still keep in touch with those individuals. And uh, yeah, it was, that's pretty much what summed down, summed down those years. So how does that like lead to the point where you get involved in like Montreal hip hop? Now, all this, all this, like this whole spirit of me pushing individuals to get better was always happening when I was doing, when I was playing basketball, point guard position, five links, when I was making sure I had a team who were eating probably even more than me or at the same level as me. And when I connected again with Tagans, even though I left DG, I was still connected with uh, my people from DG. Once he had a radio station interview, he invited me at one point and I was like, man, I knew that feeling never left for some reason. So he brought me to the radio station. That was for his mixtape. And at the time, that was when uh, Dutch, uh, BNB were doing their thing. A lot of artists from the city were collaborating, especially on the Anglophone side. They had a vision of how Montreal Anglophone's music should be, hip hop music specifically. That That's when I, I got an, an idea of how I would have to study what they're doing and not necessarily uh, take part of it and act like I know what I'm doing. So like I was keeping an eye on who were the ones making the moves, who were the one organizing the events, just studying the back from the back, from the background. And uh, that's when I got a, a little bit more, I got into my, my mojo at the beginning. So you would go to, go to all this shit. You would just be present. That's it. All the time. He had a show, I'd show up. How many shows did you go to in that era? Man, that's... Prior to me starting, before I started organizing events, I would say close to 10, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, somewhere around that. So what's it like? Because like, that's a different era. I mean, myself, I only really come into anything in like 2012. So prior to that, I don't know a lot about a lot. I'm working at a call center, so I'm cognizant of a couple of names because some people are getting mentioned or whatever. But like, it wasn't like I knew anything. I found out after, though, that was some good times to be going to fucking shows, though. So if you have any experiences you can share from that era, be blessed. Yeah, man. It's just that time I went to see Tegan's perform uh, open for MOP. That's when I was like, okay, it was, I forgot the name of the, the venue, but it was on St. Catherine. It was like a small, as soon as I'm gonna remember the name, I'll send you a message about it. Anyways, just to say that the vibe was extremely raw and street. And I was like, okay, it's authentic here. People are not holding back. They're not pretending to be who they, they're not. And it gave me an idea of how you know, how the city could get together in a way where a lot of people aren't unaware of. And I started seeing how people, I, that's my first time, That's what, that was my first time meeting uh, Long Life Marcus, who's a videographer. And he gave me an idea of how everybody, were pretty much within the Montreal industry. And they were taken a lot more serious than I thought, I, than I thought they were. Then I was, you know, then I always thought they, they weren't, uh, rather. Now, once that became, that once that crossed my mind, I realized, okay, shoot, 
I got an opportunity and I can't miss that. I had to, to figure out ways to just, you know, keep stay in those environments, keep myself closer to those who are actually putting in work and are taking action. So that's like, let's say 2010-ish, right? That's that era. Right. Um, and you're basically watching that. When do you when do you start to like pivot to okay i can throw my own shows and i can go do my own thing that's when uh i met organizers of uh, one full circle organization that was a nonprofit organization in ville saint laurent and they had all these ideas of bringing the city of montreal together the anglophone side and the francophone side which was in the basement of a barbershop and it was called B-Wave. And that's when I told you, you remember when I told you I was starting hustling, I was figuring out ways to sell t-shirts. So that was, that, that all came together at the same time. Once I got into that organization, I figured out how I could add value by not simply being the type of individual that's gonna take and say, hey, uh, what could they do? What could they do for me? Well, I had to volunteer at at uh, you know at different events when they had when they had uh, events at parks, I would show up there, make sure I pick up stuff and talk to the people who were in the industry or whatnot. I I, I had my first had my first um, experience behind the scenes looking at how radio interviews were being done. So I was there watching how the questions were being asked, how to actually hold a mic, all of these different techniques without even going to school. Once that started becoming a thing for me and I realized that was always within me. Remember when I talked about uh, hip hop for, for for so many years, how I, how I used to like to see um, Tegan's ski do their thing and becoming bigger artists. Those same thoughts came back and I was like, shoot, okay, this is it. This is it. This is for me to take it and to be a student for for days, nights, and years. So I kept on going. They every day I'd just read a few books, you know, make sure I educate myself before even signing up to Trebus. Say word. I got a serious question that's not so much about you, but what is one full circle? And I asked that because somebody said I should add Pharaoh to Facebook. So I add Pharaoh to Facebook and somebody sends me a link to one full circle. So I end up in a Facebook group and the next thing I know I'm on a website and then it's asking me, we're like signing up. And I'm like, what, what is this? There was, there was no real. And then the group was like intense. <clears throat> That's a good way to put it. It was a polarizing time we could say during the year. And I was like, I have no idea what one full circle is. And the website didn't, I get the point that it's a community movement for melanated folk and that's right. about as far as i got from the the material of it and i'm like say a word i don't know that i know what it is but what they do but damn they look professional and have their shit together <laughs> yeah so basically one full circle i know it took a different name if i'm not mistaken but the idea of one full circle was to bring together the anglophone and francophone black community in montreal you know, specifically Afro-descended, anyone who's from Haiti, you know, different countries within that, different countries in, in Africa, and, uh, you know, a few Black Americans. Now, 
at the time, the idea was to create a community where we could have pretty much similar to the Black Panther, where we could have our breakfast club, where we could have our breakfast, uh, yeah, our breakfast club, where we could have our sports and education all combined together and bring the people in a way where they could understand financial freedom and financial empowerment. So that was the whole idea, but certain things happened uh, within that organization that a lot of people weren't necessarily uh, agreeing with. And it, it, it feels like the organization took more of like a family business route. That's fair. And I'm not, I don't have any like real reaction to it because I don't know a lot about them. I just know that I, I just, thought i know that my first radio interview in life was in 2012 and pharaoh was the guy right before me and he had his shit together and i looked like an asshole when i sounded like an idiot with my stupid twitter handle at blasters so i was like oh pharaoh that that's that guy and that was that's as far as that went for me but that's a great answer um just to express it because it's part of your journey and so you get involved there and see how a lot of things get put together and then, absolutely and then that gives you even more. So basically, most of your life at this point is, I'm going to go watch people smarter than me move. You got it. That's it. I had to be the sponge wherever I go. And still till this day. That's a useful trait for sure. So how how do you like evolve that then? When do you start to like build your own thing? Once uh, One Full Circle and I had different visions, right? I, I had a vision of just taking Beat Wave to another level that people can were you, excited can for. Can you break down Beat Wave? Actually, I don't think we really broke down what it is. Yeah, so Beat Wave was pretty much an idea where we could bring together music producers, DJs, MCs, and when I'm talking about MCs, also recording artists, all together, and industry and industry people from Montreal, all together so they can network. We could also see uh, creatives build on their platforms, showcase their talent, while all making sure that you know the community is still circulating the dollar. So if I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you an example. If we have a beat maker who would show up at Beatwave, then he would be able to recruit a few artists within his camp or even within his his team. Once that would happen that same artist could bring a photographer who would show up to the event and that photographer would work with both beat makers and a music producer beat maker and the recording artist so like it was all meant to create a one full circle effect where we could in-house everything we were doing at the time and especially i was in the basement of a barbershop so like everything was so intimate and uh, connected that's wild <clears throat> that's like a great vision it's definitely it was. i'm i'm on a mission to accomplish things like that so i'll fucks with that super heavy um but like what happens then i guess after you part ways with one full circle so as soon as i part ways with one full circle it was difficult for me because i told my i, I always thought that i needed them more than they needed me and i was like okay woof. Now I got to think about certain ideas that could be creative and not necessarily copy everything I learned. Of course, hip hop basics, we could say it's a branch of B-Wave, but it's amplified because 
in hip hop basics, I could think about ways where we could expand internationally, not only stay on a local end, local end of Montreal. B-Wave was more for Montreal artists and Montreal talent, local talent. And it wasn't meant to bring, well, we, we did bring at one point uh, Ciroc from Washington, oh, D.C. That's fine. Yes. <laughs> that, was a, that was my first shot of booking for, for, for booking interviews for her. So I had to reach out to her manager. I didn't know how that worked, but I just know that for a fact I had to, I had her information on her on our on our laptop, and we had to reach out to certain radio stations. So I just started calling them and letting them know, okay, here I need this, I need that. I pretty much acted like if I was an assistant manager, not knowing that was the job of an assistant manager. So basically, Ciroc's manager is like, all right, she coming in. Fill her time make it valuable it. yo that is interesting because yo i am trying to do a whole lot of things in my life slash be an artist at the same time and it's killing me now i love it because i kind of appreciate learning the business of it all but then you start to consider all the roles the roles that <clears throat> nobody ever talks about or like thinks about or honestly it's gonna sound wild but i never thought about a booking agent and what it really does and the purpose of a booking agent until like three weeks ago when my dude was describing how many hours he puts into getting himself booked and i'm like i don't have that many hours a week <clears throat> like i i mean that's what a booking agent does and then you realize that what a manager does is manages you tells you where to show up and shit and like so now you got to give the it's like wow and then you got to think about like all these different things that because like in my head, I'm going, let's pretend all of a sudden a billionaire showed up and threw half a, like, you know, a million dollars at the Montreal scene. Just the English sign. What will we do with it? Could we handle that? <laughs> That's a very great question. I, I know a lot of people were telling, telling themselves, hey, Montreal, we need to work together. We need to put these plans together. But when the money's there on the table, then that's when the real pressure comes in. Yeah. But it's like everyone, so my experience, and this is no shots, has been everyone is down to play the same roles. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know. But I, I don't, but I think part of it is people just aren't aware. Like, I mean, like people in the community aren't, aren't aware. Like you have like people who come to like every show and I'm like, bro, you, you could be like making bank, you know, like. So it's more like the people, because you know, artists are artists. Like they're probably not often the best business people. I'm a hundred percent be honest about that. But then, like, yeah. like you still need people in this scene who are invested in building the scene that are just not talent. Like that's the wildest thing to me is how few people here in the scene that I've met are not an artist. Like the entire scene is artists playing double roles. It's wild to me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It, it makes you think of how not too many people are thinking about other ways they could tap into their creativity. Like, okay, shoot, I got experience uh, rapping or I have experience organizing events, but what makes you really think that you have experience until you hang out with people who have a lot more experience than you and they coach you in a certain way where they tell you, hey man, that's not how you do it. That's when you get a real reality check. Yeah, that's facts, man. Yo, I got blessed to get promoted at work. Getting promoted mm, at work kicks the correct. shit out of you. You learn about new tiers of life that, like, you never... I'm saying, like, 
when you talk to rich people, it's a different world. Like, like it's a different fucking world. Like that, you don't get to say what you want, how you want. Like, you know, you don't get that luxury. Like, so like, you know, like, tell me about it. But yeah, like, so, so you are one of the people, though. Back to you, um, yeah. that literally for Sirox had to learn the interview gauntlet of Montreal at that time. That would have like fucked with her. How did you figure that out? Like, how did you do that? <clears throat> I just made sure. You know what's crazy is that. At that time, Pharaoh did not give me the green light, but I always thought, I always thought a little bit different in a way where I, I, was, I was telling myself, okay, how could we create a better experience? How could we uh, maximize out of what we have? How could we take things on another level? So, what happened was her manager, her manager at the time sent, because Pharaoh told me, okay, here's what you're gonna have to do. You're just gonna have to know who she wants to talk to, and if you can't, who she wants to talk to as far as radio stations, and if you feel like uh, you can't handle certain certain uh, certain people, just let me know. Let me know if if there's a little difficulty or even miscommunication. I was like, all right, no problem. But what I had to do was not necessarily call them, just to simply verify if they were available that day sent them emails that was the basic thing i went even further and started calling them letting them know hey uh i don't i don't know if there's availabilities on that day but here's what i could negotiate with uh Ciroc's manager this way we can make things happen so instead of just writing emails i went the extra mile to make phone calls go back and forth with Ciroc's manager and do some do some more work that i wasn't even not necessarily even paid for like I was really to do, I was ready to do all. That's one thing I want to tell even uh, promoters or aspiring promoters is that don't even think about the money when you start. Because I used to do shows and we had fifty to seventy-five people show up. I would leave in my pockets with less than ten dollars, and I was great. I was happy. I was like, okay, th- this event went well. <laughs> That's how it went. I look at it like there's no such thing as a creative endeavor that usually makes money right away. That lasts. Exactly. Sorry, let me. That lasts. Because sometimes you can do things fast that burn out. But, um, so you basically pulled off the Soraksha thing, you got her in town, and you made that happen. Right. Well, for, I wouldn't say I made it happen, but I was part of, uh, or because we were part of OFC, but we still reached out to, right, right. to the people. Yeah, you know what I mean? You did a lot of work to ensure that this happened. Exactly. <laughs> so I guess um, with that, uh, do you start throwing your own events, with, or like, yeah. and that's like throughout Montreal, your like hip hop shows, or just different like local stuff, or is it with more celebrities and then getting openers? Now I started off with uh, my own shows, which was Hip Hop Basics, which is the offshoot of Beatwave. It made me. It made me think of. Okay, if I stop doing beat wave, what's next for me? And I had to think about certain way, certain names that would be catchy. Like I thought about okay, basics of this, this and that. And I was like, okay, I always liked hip hop, so I could simply bring it back to the basics of hip hop and make sure that we could actually put on a platform all of those, all of the elements of you know hip hop. Beat wave was. 
yeah, we, we thought about having all of those elements, but we're, we're mostly focusing on the beat makers and music producers and recording artists. The rest came after, but with Hip Hop Basics, I wanted to give shine to every single, um, every single artist, every single creative within the community of hip hop. When that came together, with my first event, it took me a few months before I made it happen. I realized that it wasn't the fact that I was part of B-Wave that things went well. It was the fact that I was able to bring the community together and they followed me after I left B-Foot, after I left B-Wave. Right. So that made me think of, okay, shoot, I got another shot. So when was your first show? I would have to say to be exact, January 20, shoot, that's a good question. No, I would say it was around March 2016. Yeah. Where was it? It was, man, it was on uh, St. Hubert Street. What's crazy is that it was in the loft. Say a word. Yeah, we did it in the loft. I didn't know any of the any of the rules or regulations that we had to uh, go by or even had to listen to because I told myself, hey, we would have to do a hip hop show, whether it's in the residential area, we're still going to do it. And that's when I started learning a lot more about the laws and uh, things you have to take in consideration. I was like, just bring the beat up. Just make the, bring the volume up. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you want to avoid if you're throwing a show? What's a what's a big tip to avoid? Avoid not having insurance. Say a word. Yeah. Like when yeah, you do the venue yeah. or in general? In general, for you got you gotta have general insurance for for the people who are there. Anything happens, you gotta be you're the person responsible. Yeah. Say a word. Insurance, eh? I never thought about insurance one time in anything. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so hip hop basic starts running shows. How often do you run them? At that point, I was just. I think it was like my therapy of beat wave. So I just went in every single month for twenty seven months. I was doing a show, whether it was comedy, music, comp, and I just went in every month. And people were like. Do you do radio? So like, I was thinking about so many mar so many ways to market myself that I would go to radio stations, uh, hire a photographer, make that photographer take pictures or even a videographer take videos. This way I could retarget that same content for the next event. And this, it made me look like a radio guy, like shoot, Max, you do radio? I'm like, no, that's just me promoting the event. Like, okay, I go to a next radio station. I take pictures with all the radio hosts, making making how, my how, brand seem a little different. How easy is it to get on radio stations? Like, this is just shit I've never thought about. Because sometimes what happens is is you get so into the grind, so caught up on your like you everything you do to keep something alive that you don't think about shit like radio and how hard or easy it is to even get on radio. <laughs> I thought it was easier than. I actually thought it was easier at the time, but now that I realize, it's a lot harder because it depends on who you it depends who you're dealing with. A lot of times we could reach out to the quote unquote go to person, but that person may be a little stooge or someone that does not necessarily want to take a a local artist under their wing and 
make them seem a little bit more different than what they are. So I had to make sure I would know the people Pharaoh knew. I would keep in con I would I kept in contact with every single person I was uh communicating with when I was in when I was with OFC, whether it was for radio interviews, whether it was for shows, if I had to give them a ticket for an event, whether they knew me or not, I would remember who they were, go on go on their Facebook, like some of their comment, like some of their posts, comment on their posts. And that kept me um closer to to those individuals who have a, who have a lot more power or have a lot more authority so if i'm understanding because you gotta understand sometimes artists egos all that bullshit there's value in playing the social media game like that because that's that's what you're saying is you played the social media yeah. game like that okay like you see, you know, sometimes you hear some shit like that. You're like, I don't really want to do that. But then you're like, what am I doing if I'm not doing that? Like I try to heart Don Smooth's post if I see them. I try. <laughs> he came on my show. I feel like okay, if Don Smooth comes on your shit, you should make some effort to heart Don Smooth's and give him some fire <laughs> emojis. <laughs> oh man, that's that's amazing. <laughs> It's the truth. <laughs> I mean, I like Don Smooth. I think his shit's creatively like dad. He's like a huge inspiration for my what I call dad dick energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got that shit on lock. So very, very good guy to like follow, in my opinion. But um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it took me some time to commit. Well, even him, I reached out to him a lot of time, and I wouldn't even necessarily say that he didn't care or he didn't know where he didn't he didn't want to respond to my messages but it felt like I, it wasn't my time yet sometimes we got to mm. remember that even if you're trying to force like hey man don smooth i want to talk to you no nah, it's not your time unless i have something valuable to bring to the table then it, that's a different card lie. i'm a hundred percent certain pre-chankovia did some magic hundred <laughs> percent certain of that like but even if he didn't talk to don smooth directly preach his involvement and exposing of me to other people did a lot for me that uh, well let other people see what my show was you know so it gave a lot more people like like don smooth had watched it and he came in and he quoted me and i'm like say a word because he's like Still. i heard you say this this length of time is like the move that da, 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 so i had to fuck it like, beat everybody else and i'm like don smooth like went in hard and i'm like that was amazing but um yeah, so I appreciate what you're saying a lot because that like timing thing is. It's also because like half these people are doing the same shit you're doing. Exactly. So it's like they they're like, oh, you 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 coming from my spot while I'm co-signing you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I'm okay. Girl, that's but that's the truth of it, which is why it's important to remember shit sometimes like sometimes i see people get moves and i'm like salty as shit and then i'm like but hold in come on these guys have been doing it like six years on you and you're mad like imagine how they feel and i'm like okay okay there you go <laughs> nah but i'm, a, there I'm but there's two ways to approach that right you can you can wait or you can still be innovative and go do some new shit <clears throat> that's a good point um, that's how you that's how you avoid being bitter <laughs> <laughs> That is exactly how you avoid being bitter. Um, otherwise, oh man, I'd be miserable if I wasn't trying to be innovative. I'd be absolutely miserable. 
How much time do you have left? Because you had said about an hour max. Yeah, I got uh, about 10 minutes. Yeah, 10 minutes. Cool. Um, so what happens after you uh, run the we'll start doing hip hop basics, you start pushing that. It's a lot of promotional work. You're running shows. Is the locksmith show part of that? Is that something different that came later on? Yeah, locksmith was part of hip hop basics. So at that time, I was just testing out the market, figuring out ways where I could bring together some of the artists that showed up at hip at B Wave to hip hop basics and see which ones are the most consistent. Looking at Instagram hey. posts, <laughs> man, I was doing like A and R work. Booking manage booking agent work, uh, not necessarily well manager too because I was helping a lot of artists get on radio. So what I was doing too was that for every artist we had, because what with Beatwave, we wanted to we wanted to have theme months. So for one month we'd have just beat makers who wanted to highlight. So let's say we had a beat maker. That was going to be the headliner of the event. We had to promote that beat maker, promote whether whether it was a single or whatever they had to promote, mixtape, LP, album. We pushed it. And I would book them. I would bring them to radio stations with me. So it made it seem like I was their manager. And every time I would do it, an artist would reach out to me and say, hey, man, how could I get on radio? And that's how I started creating my services and making sure that, okay, if you want to go come radio with me and here's what I got, here's what I got, where, here's what I have to offer you. And here's what we could do together. And it, it helped me throughout the process and just kept me connected with a bunch of people. Uh, shout outs to Buds too. I was able to, to book a lot of interviews for him uh, and along with uh, other, other artists too. That's wild stills. Um... We did get a question just on that. Uh, which artist do you want to bring to Montreal the most? It's a very good question. Right now, I'm looking at, like, no matter what scale they are, period. I like I like Larry June. I don't know if you know about him. He's pretty cool. I'm gonna check yeah, he's out. a cool, he's a, Larry June. Another artist, I need you to look her up. That's definitely one of that's she's part of the individuals I'm gonna talk. Well, I, I chopped it up with with her already. She knows who I am based on her DMs. It's a 3D Nazi. I'm looking at that too. Um, I haven't, yeah, I have I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it, but I'm gonna check it. Um, that's stuff. You know I mean? so like, well, yeah, go ahead. It's stuff that you have like such a concise like. No, nah, I know exactly who the fuck I want next. I don't even care about scale. I'm going for what I can get. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How do you spell like Larry June? Is Larry June yeah. spelled like Larry June is spelled in your head? Or how do you spell yeah. that? Like well, L-A-R-R-Y. And then June, like the and month? June. Yeah. Perfect. Just to confirm. People are confirming. What am I supposed to say? We're doing that with the chat there. You'll see it pop up on the screen after. And how do you spell the girl rapper name? So it's 3-D space N-A-C-T-E. No, N-A-T-E-E. 3D yeah, space N-A-T-E-E. That should be enough with YouTube. You're fine with that. You got enough. <laughs> um, so I, I guess COVID messed up the show plans or fucked that shit up yeah. for you. Uh, so what do you do to deal with COVID? Man, it was, it, was, it was very challenging knowing that 
at that time I was still at Trevis. So the challenge of me working, I had to, man, it was crazy that time. In a way, COVID was a blessing because I had to, that same year when I was at Trevis, I had a part-time job. I was pretty much working 28 hours, but I would work in the rising. So from like 8.30 to 4 and go straight to Trevis from 6 to 9 and come back home. Yeah, that's and I was a lot harder when you're not 18. <laughs> <laughs> no. Once that happened, I changed job. And that job, that, that schedule was a lot more. That, that schedule gave, gave me a lot more pressure. It was from 9 to 5, and then I had to go straight. So it was from Ville Saint Laurent. I had to go straight to Trebis from 6 to 9. And I was like, okay, you know what? Boom, COVID came. Well, at that time, I was thinking about organizing the events. I had big plans, certain things that were ready to, to happen. And then, of, of course, COVID hit. And it made me think of, okay, shoot. If I only rely on events, then my business is not going to go anywhere. I got to think about pivoting. And I saw everyone was just rambling, talking about, oh, if you don't do this, you're not necessarily an entrepreneur. You you have to figure out a way to get your your money working for you. This and I was like, no, I don't want to hear what everyone is doing. I don't want to rush neither, and you know. So I just I just paused. I started meditate. Well, I still meditate, but I took the time to understand how my meditation was going to work for me because I was controlling my thoughts and I was controlling the moment right now, the present moment. Once I, I was paying attention a lot more in class, which I was doing at the beginning, but it, it made me sit and think at home because I was able to go to school from my, you know, just being on a computer. And that's when I started writing a bunch of ideas, ideas, ideas. And that's when the, the, the idea of an ebook came about because I, I was telling myself, knowing that I'm already an individual who helps emerging artists increase their exposure. Well, then I got to figure out a way to do it in a different, I got to figure out a way to add more to it, right? Because the, the initial way is just to do talent coordination, which is figuring out ways where they could be on certain radio stations. Word, Travis has the business school, like the Robert Plant yeah. manager is on the Metro and tells you that you real, go. okay, yeah, say word. I forgot, about, I just clicked. <laughs> Now, once I understood that I already have the talent coordination aspect within my business, I was like, okay, let me add on another stream, which is simply making sure that artists could learn from me because I have something to teach within those five to six years I spent you know, hustling in the music business and I still have more to learn and teach. As long as I'm learning, I'm always going to be teaching. As long as I'm teaching, I'm always going to be learning. And yeah, just the idea of being a talent, doing talent coordination. I told myself, okay, here, another one it could be a fact for me to teach on the internet, teach on, do online teaching. And another one would be simply group consultations or one-on-one -on -one consultations. So these are all three aspects I had to think about to add uh, to my business. Yeah, I fucks with that. It's basically just leveraging what you know to upsell in a consulting. There you go. No, it's important shit. Like, that's it's basically where I'm going with my life. I'm like, you could work for people and do this shit, or you could do this for people. Like, yo, for me, I want that American dollar. I'm like, 
Yo, on the real, somebody soft offered me $100 for an interview one time if I just chopped it up and did it the way they... And I said, whoa, that's 100 US dollars for like half the work I normally do. Okay. <laughs> this is an... In and then it made me realize Montreal's money is not the same as Texas's money. There you the go. internet is a wonderful fucking place. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so I really like that you were able to kind of flush out an entire like thing. You wrote the book which is dope so people should buy the book we got to make sure to bring that up and like i guess you have all the thoughts the ideas the book goes right into coursework and it kind of just i mean i everybody i know that does that world ends up with a book or two is all i'm saying <laughs> and uh that's legit and then you get to the website you got yourself looking all professional dapper coming in like i know exactly who's coming to this website <laughs> <laughs> i love it all this all this and I got to remember these events are always important to me. So like my way of understanding how to truly create a community is by touching the people and adding value to them. Like as soon as I'm able to add value, uh, as soon as I'm able to, to teach from what I experienced as a promoter, even a booking agent or however you want to call it, relations consultant, I can know that that same information you're going to need it, and you're going to apply it whenever you're ready to show up at my show. You know what, dude? If that doesn't work out, you should run for local politics because I fucking swear you sound like every local politician I done talk to. And that's a compliment because you sound like actually elected to politics people I've talked to. And I'm like, say fucking word. Like, that's, that's dope. You have, like, the, the whole thing, man. You fucking go, go run for Balarama or something, you're in. <laughs> and I'm not saying that hyperbolically. I happen to have yeah. learned about how you can get in, and with that kind of a skill set, that's a real. I, I met the dude recently, like at Nate Husser's thing. And so, yeah, no, that's not a fake statement, all of that. If you ever want to run politics in Montreal, that's real. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It's a yeah, compliment. For real, though, I, I appreciate this interview. I know you don't really have a lot of time left. I, all your links are below with that super awesome link tree that you put that just did all the work for me so that was great um so they're gonna all be able to see that uh you know in the the videos and whatnot as there comes out so i just want to thank you for coming through you know it's really you've done a lot of things right when the fact that other people are gonna bring you up you know that i mean i'm gonna be real i got a picture with locksmith because of you like that's on my insta that's like a real thing that moment in my life was curated by your shit and i wasn't even there like i went to see locksmith you know it was like it was in my end it was the least i'm trying to do some shit ever in my life i fucking swear but like that was cool that you did that you know like it was really great and so thank you for that that was a blessed thing and i hope that as the life comes back we can all get back to like event coordinating which is not my favorite thing in the world to do. But um, thanks for coming through and, and just sharing with us because you definitely drop real knowledge nuggets. And just the fact that you exist and what you do, I don't even think a lot of people know people like you are out there. I don't know if Man, you I appreciate it. I don't know if you have that's any. Why, like, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that, that's why opportunities like these showing up on your show and uh, me scouting, understanding what's important and what's not knowing that you have something going on that's been going on for, for quite some time. I, I looked it up and I know for a fact you're going to be able to get, make, make a lot of these artists comfortable knowing that 
there's more to it than just thinking, okay, I got to do it one way. And the way you present it, I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I realized maybe not everyone got gifted with the same sense of knowledge out there. And it's worth sharing knowledge instead of hoarding it the way, like, you know, people talk about hoarding money, but I'm like, why do you got to, some things cost money, but the general sense of shit you can learn on your own with time and effort should be given for free easily, you know? There you go. But, um, also he's got a YouTube channel full of little tips where you can hear stuff like invest in your skills, right? invest in them because they're going to keep and i'm like say a word actually he's right skills is worth investing in because you could be like a rapper and then if you're a rapper you can do shit like hey everyone and welcome to so-and-so's how to tuesdays this week we're yo say a word it's all about skills <laughs> there you go so all that's in his link tree for real reels and shit thank you for coming through thank y'all for the watching people too because y'all are wonderful there were some people who came through with the comments it's gonna be people in the future like comment subscribe all that good stuff and uh yeah with that i'm gonna start the wonderful twitch raid you should definitely look into twitch you're the kind of guy that should just be on twitch doing shit um all right <laughs> and uh with that live long and prosper everyone appreciate it man